Righto, we've been studying the letters to the seven churches uh, in what we now call Turkey. When the book of Revelation was originally written, it was called Asia. And today we've come to the sixth church on that seven church circuit, the church in Philadelphia. Now, out of these seven churches, um, there were only two of them that Jesus didn't have anything bad to say about them. And the church in Philadelphia is one of those churches. Uh, So we've probably got a fair bit to learn from this church in Philadelphia today um, as we try and decide, well, what were these guys doing that was so right? Um, So let's have a look at what Jesus says to this church, keeping in mind that as we read these seven letters, they're not just addressing churches of John's day, they're addressing the church of today. And so we can be asking ourselves the question, is today's letter, is this letter to the church in Philadelphia also a letter to our church? So Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to take us back, firstly, to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus healed a blind man. And when the religious leaders heard about it, in this case the Pharisees, um, they wouldn't believe that Jesus had healed this bloke. And so they called the blind man's parents in uh, to question them. But his parents wouldn't tell them that, that Jesus had healed him because they were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. John tells us that the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ then he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now, so what, you might say? Who cares if they were to get kicked out of their local synagogue? What would that matter? Well, we have to understand that that for a Jew to be put out of the synagogue, well, well, this is like a cutting off of them from their whole community. Everything of what it meant for them to be an Israelite, their very national identity was all bound up in their acceptance at and the fellowship of the local synagogue. So imagine if you were put into a position where if you confessed that Jesus was the Christ, uh, and if you 
knew Jesus as your Lord, that you would be totally excluded. Excluded from all education possibilities. Excluded from all paid employment. Imagine if, I guess, think of our culture, if because you confessed Jesus to be the Christ, you weren't allowed to join a sporting club or even to walk down the aisles of the local grocery shop. Imagine if you were cut off from your community like that. And so the blind man's parents weren't going to risk getting cut off like that. And so they wouldn't tell the Pharisees what Jesus had done. But of course, that didn't stop the blind man. Uh, maybe I should stop talking about the blind man because he wasn't blind any longer. By this point, he was a seeing man because Jesus had healed him. Um, but the blind man, just the seeing man, kept telling everybody that Jesus had healed him. And so he did get kicked out of the synagogue. Now, I think that's probably worse than getting defriended. Um, not that I would know. I, I've never had a friend on Facebook, so I can't get defriended. <laughs> and, and this incident with the blind man's expulsion from the synagogue, um, it happened very soon after Jesus had outright said to the unbelieving Jews, your father isn't God. Your father is the devil because you don't believe in me. What Jesus was saying was any person or any religion that doesn't accept that Jesus is the Christ and the only way to God, well, they're not agents of God at all. They're working for the devil. And if this was the case with God's chosen people, that, when they, that if they didn't believe in Jesus, then they were then they were um, not agents of God at all, but children of the devil. Well, what does this say about any other religion? So let's step forwards now to the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, by the way, means city of brotherly love. Uh, but for the Christians in Philadelphia, well, they weren't feeling the love. The local, local Jewish synagogue hated them. The Jews were the ones who claimed to hold the truth. They were the ones who were supposed to be God's chosen people. And they were supposed to be the line, the lineage, um, that was supposed to descend from King David down through to Messiah. But of course, when Messiah came, who was Messiah, kids? Who's the Messiah? Jesus, right? But when Jesus came, they rejected him. And some of the synagogues were places where people were open to hearing about Jesus. And that's why, as the, as the earliest Christian missionaries went from town to town, the first place that they would ever go to was the synagogue, the local Jewish synagogue, and they'd preach Jesus there. And sometimes people there accepted Christ. But most synagogues were like this one in Philadelphia, where they continued to reject Jesus as the Messiah. And they became sources of persecution to anyone who would name Jesus as the Christ. And so Jesus was very cutting in what he said. He said, they're not a synagogue of God at all. He called them a synagogue of Satan. And I think that's why in this letter, Jesus paints himself, um, uh, paints a very Jewish picture of himself. He is the Holy One. He is the True One. He is the One who holds the key of David. Now, these are all Old Testament allusions 
to incidents to back to the Old Testament, which tells us something about Jesus. And we're not going to have time to go into all of them now. But can you see what's going on here? The Jewish leaders in the local synagogue are telling these Christians where the connect between our forefathers and Messiah. And they're telling these these Christians, look, don't get distracted by this Jesus fellow. We've crucified him, dealt with him. He's, he's, he's not the Messiah. You're being deceived. You're following a lie. We're God's people. We hold the truth. We have the way to God and you're wrong. And they threw him out of the synagogue and shut the door in their face. But Jesus flips all of that onto its head. And Jesus says, I'm the holy one. I'm the true one. I'm the source of life in the kingdom of God. I have the key of David. I open the door. I shut the door and I hold the door open for you. So that's the external factors impacting on this church. But that doesn't tell us what this church in Philadelphia are like. What are they like? Well, as I read this letter, once again, I shouldn't be surprised by this anymore. I, I, I shouldn't, just shouldn't get surprised, but I am. I'm always struck that what Jesus values in a church can be so very different to what we value in a church. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that when Robin and I were on holidays, we went looking for a church to visit, and I looked at the websites of all of their various churches, and I noticed a number of them claimed to be a church of influence. Um, and they said, you know, we're a church of influence, and if you join with us, you can be a person of influence. And that all sounds good, and that all sounds very appealing, but is that the sort of church that Jesus found in Philadelphia? No. Jesus said, I know that you have but little power. Now, generally, when we look for a church, we're looking for a strong church. We're looking for a church that has power and influence in the community, a church that that will make people sit up and take notice of them. But here was a church that had very little power. They didn't have much influence at all. They certainly weren't looked up to in the community. In fact, they were frowned upon. But it was a church that Jesus valued. A month or so ago, we read the letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Sardis. And they had a reputation for being alive. But as far as Jesus was concerned, that particular church was breathing its last. And they were weak and they were dying. Do you get this? Humans would look at a church and say, now that's an alive church. You know, they're on fire for God. Look how strong they are. They're really pumping for God. But Jesus might see them and, and know the reality of the situation. That even though they appear to be strong and alive, they're, they're actually weak and dead. Whereas the church in Philadelphia... Well, people would look at that church and go, well, that church is pretty weak. There's no strength there. But as far as Jesus was concerned, they were just right. What is it that Jesus congratulated them for? Jesus said, I know that you have but little power 
And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You have kept my word about patient endurance. I say there's two things. They endured. No matter what they had to suffer, no matter how much they were looked down upon, no matter how much they were persecuted and cut off from their community, they endured. That means they just continued on, continued following Jesus. Secondly, they did not deny Jesus' name. Now, when he's Jesus values a steadfast witness. Jesus values a church who will not shrink inside of itself because they're too afraid to testify to the name of Jesus in a society that despises the name of Jesus. Do you think maybe this letter could possibly be relevant for us? We live in a society that despises the name of Jesus. And Jesus is looking for a people who will not shrink from testifying to his name despite the opposition. And here was a church in Philadelphia, in a church, sorry, in a society that very much despised the name of Jesus, but they did not deny Jesus' name. And what does that mean? What does it mean not to deny Jesus' name? You know, sometimes when we're talking about a church that's undergoing persecution and so on, we, we get the picture of, okay, these people all lined up, right, denounce Jesus or we're going to shoot you. And, and, and we picture people, okay, well, no, I won't, I won't deny Jesus' name and bang, they become a martyr. And then others will cower and go, yeah, no, I, I recant, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And that's true. But I think it's deeper than that. I think we deny Jesus' name every time we have an opportunity to share Jesus' name and we don't. These people openly shared the gospel in the community around them no matter how much they were shut out because of it. Because even though the doors in their community were being shut to them, Jesus held open a very much more important door, a door that nobody else could ever shut. And this got me thinking about modern evangelism today. You know, we often think of evangelism of we've got to have some kind of program. We've got to have some kind of activity. Or we've got to provide some kind of service in the community that the community wants. So we can put, we can put all of this work into some kind of community activity that the, that the community are going to re, really value so that then the community will start to value us. And then maybe, maybe this week, maybe next week, maybe the week after, we might get somebody who's specially gifted in evangelism to give a little little message on Jesus. But you know what I reckon Jesus is after? I reckon Jesus is after a people who could not imagine waking up to a day where they're not going to personally share their faith with someone. What kind of a church are we here? Will we only proclaim to the world that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, if we feel that the world sees us as a people of power or a people of influence? 
or if the world sees us as a people who have earned the right through something we've done in the community to be able to then tell them about this Messiah? Or are we willing to proclaim Jesus is the Christ from a position of weakness? Are we willing to proclaim to the world that Jesus is the Christ even if they shut the door in our face? Even if they shut us out of the community in which we live? What kind of church are we here? Here's a truth we need to be aware of and we need to know this before we commit to being a disciple of Jesus. To follow the path that opens the doors of heaven will very often mean that the doors of the world will slam in our face. I'll say that again. To follow the path that opens the doors of heaven will very often mean that the doors of the world will slam in our face. Have you ever experienced that? Because you're following Jesus... The doors of the world just slam in your face. I'm seeing a few nods. Was it worth it? Of course it's worth it. Of course it's worth it. All this church in Philadelphia had to do was to keep on doing what it was already doing. Jesus said to them, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Do you understand what he's saying? He's talking about their salvation. They're saved. Their place in, in heaven, their place in his new kingdom is assured. Jesus makes them a promise in, chapter, sorry, in verse 10 that he will be with them through all of these trials and persecutions. He talks about patient endurance. Trials and persecutions is something that we will have to endure. That's what patient endurance is all about. But Jesus will keep us through it. All they have to do is to never deny the name of Jesus Christ. They just have to keep on proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. And here's the reward. Jesus said, the one who conquers, I will make him a temple, uh, sorry, a pillar in the temple of my God. Yay, he's going to turn them into marble. Is that what it's saying? Of course not. In fact, we're actually told that there's not going to be a temple in the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 1 says, sorry, tw chapter 21 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So what's Jesus telling them? If they're going to be a pillar in the temple, but the temple is God, you're going to be in God. But what's this image of a pillar about? You know, we, we often talk about a pillar and we see a pillar as a symbol of strength. Most pillars are not strong. If you tried to use a pillar as a bearer and loaded it up, what's going to happen, Mr. Engineer? It's going to break or it's going to bend or depends what it's made out of. A pillar is only strong if it's standing upright. I actually think that the, the pillar here 
is not so much a symbol of strength, but a symbol of permanence. A pillar is integral to a building, and thus a pillar must be permanent. And so what Jesus is saying here is if you endure, if you continue to be my witness, it doesn't matter how much the world cuts you off and how much the world shuts you out, the door is open for you to my kingdom and you will be permanently with me and permanently in the Lord God Almighty. How's that for a promise? Anybody happy with that promise? Oh, good, good. Sometimes we refer to someone as being a pillar of the church. Now, generally, when we say that, we're thinking at somebody, thinking of somebody who's really active in the church. They do so much um, that most people couldn't imagine that church even existing if that person wasn't there. That if that person wasn't there, that church would either cease to be or its entire character would change. And as I talk about a pillar of the church, you might probably think of somebody. I know when I was thinking of pillars of the church, I was thinking about all the churches I've ever been in and and those people who I pictured as being pillars. But you know what a friend of mine says, and he says it reasonably often, cemeteries are full of people who the world couldn't live without. You've heard that saying? And it's true. And a healthy church continues to live. It continues in its worship. It continues in its service. It continues in its witness, even when those who we consider to be the pillars of the church are no longer there. Why? Because a church, a healthy church, doesn't just have one or two pillars. A healthy church is full of pillars. And so I believe today is a challenge for us about what it means to be a pillar in God's church. To be a pillar is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And not just within the safe confines of a church, but out in the world. Always witnessing, patiently enduring, trusting in Jesus And being a witness from a position of weakness. That's what this is about. You know, most of us think, oh, yeah, I know God wants me to to be a witness for him, but you don't understand. I I don't have the right gifts. I'm I'm too shy. I'm too weak. I'm not the right sort of person. But you know what? Jesus wants every one of us to be his witnesses, not from a position of strength, but from a position of weakness. People out in the community expect your pastor to to be telling them about Jesus and inviting them to church. But it's when you do it that that makes a difference. Being a witness from a position of weakness and being carried by Jesus, knowing that as the doors of the world slam in our face, the door to the heavenly city and fellowship with God is open, inviting, and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, as I read this letter, I realise that I, we, 
have so often failed to be your witnesses. And Lord, we confess this to you. We've had so many opportunities to declare your name. So many opportunities to share with people that you are indeed the Christ and what this means. And we've been too scared or too shy or too unsure of ourselves. I guess, Lord, we, we know we are a people who have many weaknesses. But, Lord, I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit who enables us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ from a position of weakness. And Lord, we offer ourselves to you today. And we ask, Lord, that you would enable us to be your witnesses from our position of weakness. And Lord, we long for that day when that open door to your new kingdom is right there before us. And you lead us in. In Jesus' name. Amen.